0: All right. Good morning, everybody. We are going to get started, and I want to welcome everybody back. Glad that you're here, and uh, looking forward to continuing our study of biblical worldview. Um, man, wasn't that song leader good this morning? Whew, boy, right? Uh, no bias uh, at all. Just I, w- I will tell you though, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you peek behind the curtain a little bit, and. Uh, and I know that uh, I know that Glenn is not in the room, so I'm gonna I'm gonna peek behind the curtain for him as well. When you know the song leaders reach out to whoever is gonna be is gonna be preaching um, to get the to get the sermon topic <clears throat> uh, to coordinate songs uh, for the worship. You know whether it's Sunday morning, you know Sunday night, or whatever. Um, it's, there's always a <laughs> there's always a little bit of trepidation of what the topic is going to be and how easy or challenging it is to link you know or to connect songs that connect with the with the sermon topic right um, I think I think I think Glenn enjoys that a little too much sometimes because there are topics that are when you know I, I know that as I've been the one picking songs or others we've talked about you know we'll, we'll get the topic and we're like. Where in the world do we start with songs? So um, last night, Benjamin had emailed Brother Glenn to get his topic. He comes running into the living room and says, Mr. Glenn is preaching on love. Yes! So, because there's, you know, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with songs about that. So really, 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 really funny. Um, but uh, I do appreciate, I do appreciate um, how... Um, how reverent we approach worship here uh, at, uh, at West Townsville. It, it it definitely, it, it helps. And, you know, there is nothing more important that we do all week than gather and, and worship our God together. So let's continue our discussion. Last week, we were working our way through what I call foundational verses for a, a biblical worldview, beginning in Genesis 1. Um, and establishing that God is God, and then moving forward uh, with understanding and accepting and uh, basing our worldview on the conviction and the truth that Jesus is God, and then moving and establishing that the Holy Spirit is God, and the importance and, and why, those, you know, why those, you know, those principles are essential to what our worldview should be. And we're going to continue that. We're going to continue our building uh, of, of our worldview with these, with these foundational verses today. And I hope, um, you know, if, um, if, if time moves okay, that after we, after we finish today's lesson, or today's discussion, I should say, because I do hope that that's what it is, a discussion, um, that we will have established uh, our worldview and then start applying it to various principles, various topics, various ideas, philosophies, things of, things of that nature. So kind of in a, kind of wrapping up a part one of developing that biblical worldview and then moving into a part two of applying that biblical worldview. So um, I mentioned last week that we were going to talk about the truth. and more specifically, uh, teasing the idea of, you know, what is truth? In a post-truth world, right? Or a post-truth culture. Um, just to give you a little bit of history and, and that little bit of history summed up very poorly, probably. Um, but when we when we get, you know, we've probably heard the term post-modern, okay? post-modern ideas, postmodern thought. Um, before that came modern thought, and just generically, and those of you that are You know, um, that are amateur sociologists or professional sociologists or historians or anything like that. Please bear with me, but in general, uh, the prevailing thought uh, at you know fifties into sixties was that you know technology, um, that man's achievements, that man's intelligence uh, was going to basically be the solution to all of our problems. Okay, somewhat of a somewhat of a humanism. Type philosophy. Um, And then that gave way, you know, 60s into the 70s, that gave way into what we know as the postmodern era, the postmodern idea. In other words, the realization that man's technology, man's achievements, man's innovation is not capable of solving a problem. So it is You know, this postmodern of, you know, basically opening the door to relativism, where everything is relative based on the individual. And then now, that has uh, given birth to what's popularly known today as post-truth. Right Now, it sounds kind of odd, and if you've never heard of the idea of what a post-truth philosophy or a post-truth culture is... Um, The uh, Cambridge Press defines it this way. It's relating to a situation in which people are more likely to accept an argument based on their emotions and beliefs rather than one based on facts, right? So, in short, you know, whether it's true or not depends on how I feel about it, right? Um, And we can, you know, we can look around and we can, uh, you know, we can... You know, we probably heard the phrase your truth or my truth. Um, and it should make us kind of, it should make us kind of recoil a little bit because basically what this philosophy means is there is no right or wrong, only what is good for you at the time. Right? Um, and again, the ultimate, the ultimate relativist position. Brother Glenn. Mm. yeah for those of you that, uh, that couldn't hear uh, Glenn's comment talking about uh, postmodernism began as an art description and Picasso being a uh, you know being an exemplary you know or an example uh, of that and when you look at that it it's all about how you feel about it there is no objective standard to measure it to it is just well I feel this way and I feel that way and that that's what you know as we as we get into you know what we have to establish as Christians is that there is an objective absolute truth, or there is an objective, absolute standard, right? Because we've talked about, you know, our <clears throat> call it our theme for the class, call it our mantra, call it our 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 prime directive um, for you Star Trek nerds out there, okay? What we have to establish is every spiritual question must be met with a scriptural answer because that is the standard. And I'm probably going to say that at least once every class because I feel like it's that important to remember that if we are not going to the scriptures, then we are, whether directly or indirectly, affirming and endorsing this post-truth, whatever's good for you is fine and whatever's good for me is fine. And then, because if there's no objective standard, then there is no standard at all other than how I feel about it. The Barna Group, which you've heard me discuss uh, before, uh, a, a research group started by George Barna, focusing specifically on, on faith-based, faith-based research, um, social trends, cultural trends within the larger, uh, church of Christendom. I wanna, I wanna make sure that we're, we're defining those terms accordingly based on their, based on their research. Um, back in 2009, and I realize, I realize 2009 is a, is a little bit, is a little bit dated, um, you know, because things move pretty fast these days, but still very telling, um, of, uh, a survey of, uh, how they def- what they defined as born again adults, right? So people that identified as a Christian in some way, you know, generically speaking, of course. Um, just, you know, uh, about, about some, of, some of their beliefs at the time. Again, this was 2009. So 93% of those surveyed, those, those quote unquote born again adults, 93% believe that God is all powerful, all knowing, and the creator of the universe. Okay, so that's 93%. That's a strong number, obviously. It does call into question what the other 7% believe if they claim to be a born-again Christian yet don't believe that God is the all-powerful creator of the universe. But, but the, 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 the information goes on, the data goes on. 79% believe that the Bible is accurate in all principles it teaches. Okay, 62% believe that Jesus lived a sinless life while he was on earth. Now, most of the time we hear surveys, and sixty-two percent would be, oh, well, that's that's great. That's a strong, that's a strong majority, a clear majority. But not when you're talking about people that claim to be Christians, and only sixty-two percent of them believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. Okay, but what in, in our, for our discussion this morning? Uh, what is more telling and more concerning was that only fifty-six. I'm sorry, only forty-six percent. Only forty-six percent of those born-again adults believe in absolute moral truth. So less than half. Less than half. And there's that furrowed brow from Brother Lewis again. Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. We hear we hear data like that. He's going to get on to me for calling him out like that, I'm sure. Um, but we hear we hear responses like that, we hear data like that. Like, how how can that be? How can people that claim to be, again, according to according to this descriptor, born again. How can people claim to be Christian? Yet over half of them reject the idea that there is an absolute moral truth. Well, we could spend the rest of this class answering that question. We could come up with you know um, with lots of different answers, you know, as as to why, but and we'll we'll get to that, we'll get to that in a minute. But the question the question I want us to focus on first is, can we know the truth, right? That is there an absolute moral truth? Can we know? Well, again, why, why we're talking about this in our discussion of these foundational verses is once we realize and understand and accept, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, that is a that is a, a a cosmic catalyst. I can't even I can't even put words strong enough to it. That is a catalyst that sets us on a path of realizing that we have a responsibility, right? And that was mentioned by by several people by several people last week. That when we realize that God is God and that, and that Jesus is the Son of God and the Bible is His Word, then we approach and we're getting to that answer. Can we know the truth? Is there, is there something that this all-powerful being wants and expects, but also desires us to know about him and our relationship with him. right? So the question is, can we know the truth? And we established last week and why, why it was so important to understand that the Holy Spirit is God, right? because of the connection, because of the inspiration. We spent a lot of time talking about the inspiration of the Scriptures and the revealing of that truth that we are um, graciously, been, that we've graciously been made aware of, right? And But we are also expected to conform to. Comment, sir. <laughs> that was made that most of the, most of the time most of the time people don't people don't want to know the truth because it's you know if I can summarize it's inconvenient it's the truth is exclusive right the truth is exclusive the truth is the truth and. There are times when that truth is going to lead to us being on the outside of it, or someone being on the outside of it, and we don't like being on the outside of it, so we don't prioritize and um, we don't honor the truth like we should. Comment. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, basically, in short, the idea is that we have to be more intentional than the world. Bottom line: we we ha- we cannot allow the world to be more intentional in um, inculcating their worldview, the world's, the culture around us, the worldview into our mind, our heart, our children's minds, our children's hearts, which is why, you know, things like this and, you know, this, this discussion, this study, all of these things, it's why it's so important, right? So the question, can we know the truth, right? Well, again, that's a spiritual question. So let's Let's see what the scripture has to say. So can we know the truth? John 8, 32, Jesus says, and you shall know the truth. And what? And the truth shall make you free, right? So it is possible. You shall know the truth. There is a truth that is possible to know, right? 1 Timothy 2, 4, speaking of God's desire for us, Right? We know that God is God. We know that Jesus is his son. We know that the Bible is his inspired word. One of the things that we learn from that is that he has a desire for us. Right? His desire, first according to First Timothy 2, chapter 4, 2, verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So there is a truth that we can know. There is a truth that God desires. For us to know okay so if Jesus said we shall know the truth and God desires for all of us to come to a knowledge of that truth then what is that right when Pilate asked Jesus what is truth I don't think he was I don't think he was interested in an actual uh, education of what God's will is I think Pilate was just shrugging off and almost uh, almost an example of what we talk about today, about how the truth is just relative to your specific circumstances at the time. I can see Pilate showing off, what is truth? Almost in a mocking fashion, okay? But it is a very important question. What is truth? Jesus defined truth for us. In John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And we're going to talk about when you, you know, when we when we talk about this your truth or my truth, it's interesting. <clears throat> I did a word search, um, and you can do these, you know, any you know, any Bible app, you know, any online Bible thing, just put in quotes your truth, and you look at the results that come from that. Every single time, your truth, those words connected, your truth are mentioned in Scripture, every single time time the truth belongs to God. Every time. There is no truth that I possess. There is no truth that you possess. The truth belongs to the Lord. Every time you read your truth in scripture, it is directly referring to God's truth. But I will tell you, if you have the ESV, you have the New American Standard You will find in 1 John 1, verse 3, saying, for I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. Wait a second. You just just said every time. You said every time. Okay, keep reading. Keep reading. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. There is one. So if we're going to claim to have my truth, My truth better be the Lord's truth because that's the only one. He is the only one that owns the truth. There is one truth and it is the truth of God's Word. So if we can know, if we can know the truth and we know that that truth is important, why doesn't everyone follow that same truth, right? Which gets to comments made in class. Why are we swimming neck deep in a post truth culture? Well, several examples, several scriptures, several instances in scriptural history that we can look at. Matthew 7, verses just 13 and 14 enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Right? And those who find it are few. So why doesn't everybody follow the one truth of the scripture? Because it's hard. And, and that, that seems like, I realize when I say that out loud, it sounds like an overgeneralization. It sounds like an answer that's way too simple for a question that is way, way deeper, right? But it's because it's hard. I don't think anyone in here, I don't think anyone in here would say that being a Christian and following following Christ and trying to live faithfully, With a biblical worldview, I don't think anyone in this room would say that that's easy, right? It is hard. Okay, that is a. I mean, obviously, this is a true. This is a true statement. It's hard, and when it gets hard, some people choose to find another truth that's more suited to them, that's more suited to their to their needs, to their feelings, to their emotions. Okay, in Matthew 19. Okay, the uh, this is the this is Matthew's recording. of the uh, the conversation, the interaction with Jesus and the rich young ruler, Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. Stop right there. Don't miss, don't miss that Jesus is telling this rich young ruler, if I can kind of just kind of imagine this, Jesus is telling this person there is one standard. There is one standard for what is good. One. So it's almost like him saying, before we continue, just know that if you're calling me good, you are establishing, okay, what is, that there is a good and that there is a bad. And Jesus quickly says, there is one that is good. There is one standard for what is good. Let's keep going. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not make ad- commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was told the truth, it was hard, and he turned away and i love i love mark's i love mark's recording of this account, of this account in mark 10 because mark adds before jesus responds to him to tell him to go and sell his possessions okay mark adds that jesus looked at him and loved him and then told him to go and sell his possessions right he looked at him loved him and told him the truth that he did not want to hear but needed to hear Right. So what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to be saved and go to heaven? Ooh, oh, no, that's I didn't I didn't mean that. <laughs> well, that's too hard. I didn't mean that. That's too that's too inconvenient. Right. So it is true. It is true that there are those that reject the truth because it is difficult, because it's hard and we are. To the point that was made earlier, uh, we are all brought up in a in a world around us that 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 you know that preaches to us uh, the world, not the church, obviously, the world that preaches to us to live your own life, to serve your own needs, follow your dreams, and all of those things, right? And in a sense, I guess it is not wrong to encourage our children to set goals, right, and to work hard to achieve those goals. But what are we doing? What are we doing if we're encouraging our kids to set and achieve goals that are outside the will of God? Right? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Right? So everything, every, and that's why, that's why we call this biblical worldview the filter through which everything should pass. Everything that comes in and everything that goes out. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4 For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And and it's interesting, again, we talk about it being hard, Um, having itching ears, looking for teachers to suit their own passions. In other words, I, I don't, you know, I'm not looking for the truth. I'm just looking for somebody to tell me what I already know. Or, I'm looking for someone to tell me what I want to hear. I'm looking for someone that will help me feel better about myself. But it's interesting, Paul writing to Timothy, of course, by by inspiration, it's either the truth or it's what, according to this passage? It's a myth, right? And, you know, we've talked about, we've talked about these, these foundational verses, and again, I, uh, I'm not saying that that we should ever hinge our entire worldview on one particular verse cherry picked without context. I'm not. I'm not talking about proof texting or anything like that. Okay, but the scripture says what it says. Right. The Bible says what it says, and according to this, we'll not turn. We'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. There is one truth. Okay, God's word is. The one absolute truth, period. So when we're talking about, is there objective truth? Is there absolute truth? Is there a truth that is always true, always right, all of the time? Yes, God's Word, right? There is one absolute truth. It is the only truth, it is only through the Word that we can be sanctified, right? So why? Why is that truth important? Well, again, John 17, 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. We read John 8, 32 earlier. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. That's why it's so valuable. That's why we have to understand that there is no truth outside of God's word that can save us. There is no truth outside of God's word that will allow us to have a true assurance of salvation and a hope of heaven. Romans 2, beginning in verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And again, that is a that is a very exclusive truth, meaning that it's it's either... The truth, or it's not, and we don't like, and you know, we don't we don't like binary choices these days. Okay? We're, 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 we're going to talk about we're going to talk about binary a little bit later on in the uh in, in, the, in the class in the class schedule, but but we don't we don't like having a yes or no option, right? Because we want to be able to craft things to our own uh you know to to our own liking. Um, this idea of syncretism. Uh, and I know that's a, that's a fancy word for all that means is the idea of, well, I'm going to take little bits from this religion, I'm going to take little bits from this religion, I like this from this religion, and I'm just going to make up my own path. I'm going to make up my own religion. Well, you know what that is, right? I mean, it's not a word that we use a lot anymore, but that is absolute idolatry is what that is. That is making a religion and making a God in my image that suits me. That's, that's, that's idolatry, right? But we have to look to the truth. Psalm 119 and verse 160 said, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Psalm 119 is an incredible study in the reverence of the Word of God. Okay? I think there's, and somebody might correct me if I'm wrong, but I think out of out of that entire out of that entire psalm, I think there's two verses that don't specifically or indirectly reference the Word of God. You may find, you may find word, you may find statute, you may find ordinances. Teach me your rules, your precepts, all of those things. But out of that entire, out of that entire Psalm, I think there's two verses that don't. Mentioned specifically or or indirectly, the Word of God, right? So, you know, and we talked about we talked about your truth. You know, the Lord the Lord owns the truth. When you do that word search, you'll see that, especially through the Psalms, your truth always refers to God's truth. So, and again, the importance is is because the only way to get to heaven, the only way to get to heaven is through. That truth. The only way to get to heaven is through the truth of God's word, and it's through Jesus Christ. Right? John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And again, that's a very exclusive statement. That is a conditional statement. Can I get to heaven? Yes, you can, but you have to go through Jesus. Right? And and again, we don't we don't like conditional statements. Okay? We much prefer the idea of well, if I'm just a you know somewhat of a good person and I mean well, then I'm probably going to be okay, right? We much we much prefer that. Okay? But what I want us to know, what I want us to appreciate is, I don't want us to see the truth. I don't want us to see the truth as oppressive, right? As restrictive. Now it is constraining, right? There are rules, there are boundaries. Okay, but First John five three says that his commandments are not burdensome. Because what's what's the what's the alternative? To live however you want to live and be lost, or to live according to God's word and be free and have that hope of heaven and be rewarded, be rewarded for your faithfulness with eternal life with him. Acts 4 verse 12 says there is salvation nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved Glenn right. uh, Glenn's point was the, the, very, the very idea of denominationalism is in contrast, direct contrast to this idea of there being one truth. Um and it's always it's always interesting to me how um, for lack of a better for, for lack of a better way to put that how tolerant how tolerant denominations are of others that have vastly different it's almost like we just we just have to accept that we're different. And everybody everybody does it different and and that's and that's okay. Everybody has their own preferences, everybody has their own likings and all that stuff. But but when But using using that vocabulary when you talk about likings and preferences and feelings and all of that, we we you know we're so unwilling to take the blinders off and see for what that is that that is not the truth. That is not the one authority of the scriptures, right? So you know Philippians two in verse nine, beginning there. Therefore God has also has also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's going to happen, right? Every tongue is going to confess. Every knee is going to bow. To bow. That is going to happen at some point. The question is, are we going to confess and are we going to bow the knee on this side of judgment or on the other side of judgment? Because it's going to happen, right? No one will be exempt from that and no one, no one will be in a position to deny that. It's just a matter of do we accept and obey on this side of judgment before we are on the other side of judgment. So I mentioned, again, about God's desire for us. Okay? We know that there is one truth And that truth is the word of God. It is the one truth. And it is the, it is the one truth that sanctifies us, our obedience to the truth. And we know that the only way to heaven, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, John 14, 6, for example. And, you know, I mentioned before, it is important for us to, for us to understand that God wants us there with him. It has always fascinated me that God has always had a desire to be among his people. Right? Have you ever thought about that? One of my favorite images, one of my favorite images uh, comes from Genesis, okay, chapter 3, where it says, God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Right? Love that. Don't know what that looked like, okay, but would love to have just been, you know, would love to just 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 seen that with my with my own eyes. But God has always desired to be among his people, to be among his creation, right? He dwelt with Adam and Eve in the garden. The, The tabernacle, the tabernacle was God's way of being among his people. And then later, later the temple, okay? Jesus, God himself coming to be among the people, right? And now God's desire is for us to be with him. He wants us to be with Him. Uh, what we read earlier, First Timothy two four, God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, because it, it's important to establish that so that we have a healthy understanding of who God is. Hebrews ten thirty one is very true, right? Hebrews ten thirty one is true. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of, a, of the into the hands of God. Okay, it is a fearful thing. But at the same time, Ezekiel 33, 11 says, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. God's desire for us is to be faithful and to reward us for that faithfulness. Okay, 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's desire is for each and every created soul to return to heaven with him. Comment.
1: Yeah, and, and Jesus
0: is, is obviously the, the example of that. You know, sin has to be punished. You know, sin has to be punished. But the fact that God saw fit to provide a way for us to avoid the just punishment. For our sin speaks to His infinite grace and His infinite mercy. Um, so, this idea that God desires for each and every you know, as, you know verses like you know, First Timothy 4, 2, 4, uh, 2 Peter three nine, you know, um, not willing that any should perish that it all should come to repentance. God cares about us enough and wants us to be in Him. So, you know, this idea of you know, uh, that, you know, that became popularized with John Calvin, you know, centuries ago, and this Calvinism, is this, this idea of predestination, and, you know, God has already predetermined, you know, has already made the decision who is going to heaven and who is, who is going to hell, and um, it, it, you know, we have no power to choose him, right, God has chosen for us, and all of the, you know, all of the aspects of, of Calvinism, which is interesting to me, you know, speaking of denominationalism. That Glenn brought up earlier you 'll hear and and read that you know some denominations consider may consider themselves two point Calvinists or three point Calvinists, and they may take some of it, but not all of it and you know what 's interesting to me about that is John Calvin himself said that you really can 't do that um, because one one of the points necessitates the other, and you really have to take you really have to take all of it but um, but we know from scripture that 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 this idea that God is predetermined through no choice and through no power of our own who's going to heaven and going go to hell. There are scriptures that specifically teach the opposite of that, right? God's desire, what God wants from us, is to be faithful, so that He can reward that faithfulness, right? And again, but it is it is conditional. We have to do we have to do what we are told to do what God has instructed us to do in his word, which brings us to the New Testament being our binding authority, right? Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, meaning we can, th- we can look back all the way to what we call the patriarchal age, right? God speaking directly to the patriarchs, moving us into the Mosaic age, you know, Moses being the lawgiver, right? Um, that leading us now, to, has in these last days, this is verse 2, Hebrews 1, verse 2, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, right? So the New Testament is our binding authority. Colossians 2, verse 13, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, as he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. There are so many times that, you know, you'll hear something, someone talking about, you know, uh, spiritual matters, and it is clear that they have no understanding of this concept they have no understanding of the Old Testament having been fulfilled, that we are no longer under the authority of the Old Testament or the law of the Old Testament, that the New Testament, that last will of Testament, the New Covenant is our authority, right? Glenn preaching from 1 Corinthians 13 this morning, talking about spiritual gifts and miraculous gifts and how we how we no longer have those miraculous gifts. 1 Corinthians thirteen ten. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Okay. Specifically, again, Paul writing by inspiration, specifically talking about these miraculous gifts that were for the point of establishing and confirming the word, right? But he also calls, it, he also says that those things are in part, a prophesying part. Okay. For example, okay. He talks about when that which is perfect is come. But what is, what is that perfect? Well, James 1.25 says, but he who worked, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, and continues in it, and if as we, you know, I know we're running out of time, but as you look there in James chapter 1, he's talking about being a doer of the word, right? He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer, this one will be blessed in what he does. It is the New Testament that brings us to Christ, Right? The New Testament is our authority for all things pertaining to faith and faithfulness. And finally, it is our responsibility to conform our lives to that last will and testament. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself, present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew renew our mind? By being in the Word, living in the Word, and constantly striving to conform our will to His. I appreciate the discussion. Look forward to the next time, Lord willing. Thank you all. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word.